0: August 21st. August 21st, 1911, Vincenzo Parugia, an Italian gentleman, went to his work on his day off, which is not really a big deal, but then he did something rather peculiar. Instead of working, he hid in the broom closet. Again, not that, not, not not unheard of, unfortunately, but he did it. And, and when work was done, he left just like everybody else. Again, not a big deal, but what he left with set off an international affair. See, Vincenzo, he just didn't work in anywhere. He worked at the Louvre. And when he left, he didn't leave alone. He left with the Mona Lisa. <laughs> About two years later, he was eventually caught trying to sell this this, uh, this art to a museum in Italy. Now in terms of Renaissance art, and especially when you look at Da Vinci and everything that he, he accomplished, when you, the Mona Lisa is a pretty humble painting compared to Adoration of the Magi, um, the Last Supper, the Annunciation, when you see the angels coming to Mary, it's far superior to then, I would say, to the Mona Lisa. But the Mona Lisa is this humble work, but it's the story behind it. That in the last century has made it the most popular piece of art known throughout the world. It's the story behind it. And that's the same thing we have in our text here. We have a rather humble story, don't we? A rather humble story of this this man and this this child and this soon-to-be wife. But it's the story behind it that makes it captivating. It's the story behind it. That makes the world come and seek after it. So with that in mind, we we see our our main idea that we're going to be driving home is that the Incarnation shows the humble love. The Incarnation shows the humble love and the compelling glory of Christ. The humble love and the compelling glory of Christ. So, We're going to be looking, not surprisingly, again at three different points. The first one, verses 1-7, through we're going to be seeing this humble love of Christ. Compelling him to come, come to this earth, and then following that, we're going to see finally in verses eight through fourteen this mingling of heaven and earth. You've seen them, God and man, being separated ever since ever since the garden when they left, but now you see these glimpses of of heaven and earth again mingling together with the angels coming down. And then finally, we're going to see this compelling glory of Christ. That compels the shepherds to come and it also compels the shepherds to go as well. So the incarnation, what do we have before us? The incarnation shows us the humble love and the compelling glory of Christ. Let's go back to the text here. Read verses 1-7. through In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This is quite an amazing story, isn't it? As all the necessary ingredients, you have an evil ruler above them, you have hardship and oppression, you have a man who loves his woman and a woman who needs her man, Right? And the story doesn't disappoint. And by the hand of God, what do you see? By the hand of God, he brings this family of little means. He brings them along. And he brings them to Bethlehem. Several days' journey they walk. They leave Nazareth in the, in the region of around the Sea of Galilee. And then they cross over the Jordan to stay away from the Samaritans, those dirty dogs. And they, So they cross down and then they go down along the shores of the, of the Jordan. and they cross back over there in Judea and then they go to the city of Bethlehem. And there it is, the hand of God bringing them and pulling them and nudging them along. Bringing them to the place so they're exactly where they need to be. The child to be born. But notice the means by which he does it. Notice the means by which he does it. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. You have Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, these ungodly tyrants who are living over them. Those are the means by which God uses to bring them to be exactly what they are, to bring, bring them where they need to be. But they need to be in Bethlehem, right? Because it came out of the mouth of the prophet, it was written by the hand of the prophet that the Messiah would be born, in Bethlehem. And you see all of these, these events coming together and finding their place in Christ. It's like the roads in Louisville. You live in Louisville, all of the roads, it's, it's, it's an old French town, so it's, it's mirrored after Paris, and so all of the roads Lead right to downtown. You're on Lexington, doesn't matter. You're going to go downtown. You're on Poplar Level Road, you're going to go downtown. You're on Bardstown Road, you're going to go downtown. Even the roads that go around the city, stay on them. Where do they bring you? Right back downtown. The Gene Snyder, the Watterson, stay on them. They bring you right back downtown. It's the same way that all of these things are coming together, coalescing in the life of Christ. Paul puts it this way when he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He says that uh, that Christ, through Christ, God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. All things are being united in Christ. Look at all these this, these different things that are coming together in the life and the birth of Christ. Individually, they're of very little consequence. Oh, just a little line. Oh, where is he going to be born? Micah says, But to you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel. Well, of little consequence, but when you see when it's pointing to Christ, well, then it has its meaning. So you have the location of his birth, and not only the location, but the lineage. You know it's supposed to be from... From Shem, and not Ham, not Japheth, the sons of Noah. You know that it was supposed to be from Abraham, right? It is through Abraham that he's he's going to bless the world, which is Christ in the gospel. It's Isaac, it's not Ishmael. It's Jacob, it's not Esau, it's Judah. It's not the eleven brothers, remember? Genesis 49, Judah is the one from whom the scepter shall not depart. And then with all of the families within the tribe of Judah, it's Jesse and his family. You see it in Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord that's supposed to come from Jesse not amongst all the other families within Judah and then among his Jesse's sons it's David that's not the other six brothers he i will raise up for you i will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and i will establish my kingdom he says in 2 Samuel 7 and out of this whole family this whole family tree of all of the world you see this little dotted line tracing all of its way now. This little road pointing its way right to Christ. It could be no other way. But it's not only that. It's not only the location. It's not only the lineage of all the different routes it could have taken. It took the one that it was going to take by the hand of God. But also the nature of the birth. You see this this road that is pointing to Christ. That it's to be a virgin. Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Well, what is the sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We shall call him Emmanuel. And he's not only a virgin birth, but he's truly, he's truly coming in the flesh. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He's coming in the flesh. So you see this, this location, all of the lineage and the nature of His birth. All finding their way. These roads pointing to this eternal jewel that is Christ. Meaningless in and of themselves unless Christ does not come. And in stillness, quietness of that night, our Savior came. Here are you, on your journey, just like Joseph and Mary. Just, and you see the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, David. All of their lives are pointing to the one is to is to come. And here we have, the, in our text, we have the quiet hand of God, bringing Joseph, bringing Mary out of Nazareth, out of Galilee, down, down along the river along the shores, through the, through the fields, and then back up into the fertile lands of Bethlehem. But a three days journey, four, five or so. Uncomfortable journey for Mary as she walks along, fully pregnant. But not one step of them, not one step was taken apart from the will of God. In this time of year, it undoubtedly, as Adam was even praying about, it brings a time of personal contemplation, and we look upon the own path, our own path that God has us on, and we wonder, why this path? We must, my friends, we must be content with the life that is not our own. We must have comfort in knowing that God is directing all of these things, all these different paths, even your life, unto the exaltation of His Son. They have no meaning in and of themselves, but as they point to Christ, well, then they come together, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful. So maybe having a life at this time without a spouse for a moment, it's painful. It's the valley that God would have you walk through as you have this life that is oriented towards the sun. Or maybe you don't have as many children as you would have. We have that problem, people ask us. How many kids do you have? It's painful. But it's a life that is oriented towards Christ. As you're wrestling for children to come, you have a life that is oriented towards Christ. Whatever it might be that is going on, my friends, take comfort. And know that your life is not in and of yourselves, just like this journey for, for Joseph and Mary was not in and of themselves. No, it was a quiet hand of God bringing them along. Oh, imagine the grumbling and complaining that was rolling out of, rolling out of Joseph, rolling out of Mary. Oh, these tyrants. Once again, once again. Oh, but it was the hand of God that was bringing them along, bringing them along. So I pray that it is enough. And it must be enough. And it can only be enough to have our lives be on this path that is guided towards the exaltation, the worship, the glorification of Christ's Son. Here is Christ in the flesh. And your life is oriented towards Him. That, my friend. Wherever the path brings you, that is a life well spent. As your life is spent glorifying the one who has come and the one who is to come again. And and you see this quiet hand of God bringing them along. And it's, it's almost comical um, how Luke narrates the birth. You see it there. And she gave first birth to her firstborn, a son. Just like that. It's like the crucifixion later on. In Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel, it says, and they crucified him. Like, And we want all these details, like, where there's a, a ton of stars, or just one, or were, how many animals were in the manger, or were there other you know, ladies come from town and help out. Of course, in our town, we want to know what sterile provisions we you know, were afforded them. But Luke doesn't care. What was his height and weight? I don't know. Luke doesn't care. Why? Because that's not the point of the story. He doesn't want to distract us from the jewel that is before us, and that is the redemptive plan of God, and God sending His Son to fulfill all of these different roads of Micah and Isaiah and Jeremiah, all of these, finding their fulfillment. Those are the details we must look for, my friend. Finding their fulfillment. Purpose in Christ and in Christ alone. And all of this is coming together in this humble birth of our King. He's gone from the the throne room of God to the humblest of locations, has he not? From the praise of angels then to the rejection of the townsmen. From absolute security to the precious life of a child. And there, in that gentle thread of life, the hope of all humanity laid in a trough for animals. A palace he did not need. He had the throne room of God. And servants would be of no use for all. Well, he, he had a host of angels, did he not? Lord, in adulation, would not be sought because he was in perfect communion with God the Father, as Adam was preaching on several weeks ago. Perfect communion with God the Father and the Spirit. And this is the challenge that lies before us as a congregation. And it's been asked of us before, and in our culture that we live in, it's being asked of us again, How are we stooping down low as a church to be a part of God's plan of redemption for his people? What cultural gutters are we willing to go into? To mirror our Savior there lying in a trough? He could have had it all, but he chose that. What cultural gutters are we willing to go into? Are God's people are God's people precious to you? This comfort and fear holding you back, holding me back. Let us see our Messiah who has walked before us and let us walk that sure-footed path of humility and love. Let us not be a church that seeks comfort that was never afforded our Savior. Do we not see... The father's hand guiding Joseph, guiding Mary along. This same father who loves his son is guiding him along. And when the fullness of time came, he sent his son to what? To live under a tyrant. When the fullness of time came, he sent his son, what? To live in abject poverty. He ushered him out of the throne room of God and into abject poverty. And when the fullness of time came, it was perfect. It was the perfect time for His Son to come and to die. To die the death that we should have died. And let us not sterilize this this plan of God's redemption for His people, but we must entrust ourselves and our families and our church the same careful hand to the same careful hand that has guided God's people throughout all of eternity. We must walk this same path. And as you walk this path, you notice that it has this, you notice what happened with Christ. He, said, he, wasn't even, he was still in the womb and he was already rejected by men. And those living in the comfort of their homes in, in town, you see Joseph kind of knock, 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 knock. Do you, do you have any rooms? You have any, they don't really have hotels like we have. They just have a guest room, and you'd be able to stay there. Do you have any rooms? It was like Airbnb. right? Not, not a hotel, like Airbnb. And so, do you have any rooms? Wow. Well, um, is, it, is that your pregnant wife? Well, she, yes, yeah, she's pregnant, but no, it's not quite my right. Well, actually, no, no, no rooms. On to the next, on to the next, on to the next. Rooms that are empty are suddenly filled with nobody. And you're not welcome. And you find yourself there. But he was rejected by men, men in the city. But he was commended by God. Let's go back to the text here verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. What is this good news? Here it is. Next verse. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and singing, Glory to God on the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. I'll keep my remarks brief here. But there's such glory revealed in this mingling of of heaven and earth. Because there's such glory revealed and it reminds us that this is not as though it should be. Recall with me this basic storyline of the Bible. You have in Genesis, before the fall in Genesis 1 and 2, you have God dwelling with man, walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. And then all the way at the end, at the end of Revelation, you have again what is a glorious ending. God is again dwelling with man, unencumbered with this sin between us. And in between this 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 Genesis 3, where you have sin entering at the end of Revelation, you kind of have sparks of this, this glimpse of what it is to have God again dwelling with man. And this is one of the such instances. And we get glimpses of this glory that was forsaken, unfortunately. This glory that was forsaken and a glimpse of this glory that awaits us as well. First, you, you see just one angel came, comes to them. And naturally, the, the shepherds, they were terrified. But there was no longer a need to be in fear. Because why? Because there was hope. It says, do not be afraid. I bring to you good news of great joy for all of the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. And then he, he kind of fills it in. Imagine what they're wondering. Oh, must be in a palace. or What do we, we find him in? Oh, this will be assigned you. Okay, here it is, this greatness. You will find what? A baby. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying <laughs> lying in a manger. Anticlimactic. Right? Imagine what they're anticipating, and here it is. But that wasn't enough. The one angel wasn't enough. It was as no goddess is he is His heavenly Father, and He just couldn't help but to announce all the much more the coming of His Son, the birth of His Son, like a true, like you guys when you have your children and you tell everybody you can. Here's God the Father sending forth a whole host of angels singing. What are they singing? Glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. And there. These shepherds, these very shepherds who are living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks by night. These very shepherds, after seeing just glimpses, just fragments of the glory of God, they're brought, they're compelled. They don't want to go. They're compelled to go and go see this Messiah. And then they're compelled to go and tell others. So let's, let's finish with that, verses 15 through 20 here. When the angel... When the angels had left them, then gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, "Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about." So they hurried off, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they spread to the, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and that all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. And here again we see this compelling glory of God. Compelling them to come and behold the Son and then compelling them to also go as well. Compelling them to come and see and so what do they say? Let us go to Bethlehem. They see this glimpses of the glory of God. Well, let us go. And, and it's, in the original here, there, there's, there's really no way in English to compel this, this, this emotion behind them. What is driving them? So that we can say, oh, let us go to Bethlehem, but it really sells it short. Of what's really going on here? They're driven. Absolutely driven. We must. We must. But there's nothing else we can do but to go to Bethlehem. That would be the amplified Jake poor translation. Let us let's go to Bethlehem, which is, that's good. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And you see what they're, they're willing to leave everything, aren't they? What do they have? They have the clothes on them and the sheep in the field. That's all these shepherds have. And what do they do? They leave it. They leave it all behind, unencumbered by anything of this world to go and behold the face of God. They leave it behind to go see God, don't they? But this overwhelming desire to come, and my friends, it never ends there, does it? It also brings the shepherds to go. Read it here in verse 17. When they had seen him, what does it say? And they kept it to themselves. When they had seen him, they, they were afraid to talk to their coworkers. When they had seen him, they never really did talk to their neighbors. So they just closed the garage door and stayed inside. No, what does it say? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. They couldn't help themselves, my friends. How are you any different? Spiritually, we're just beggars, shepherds. And this grand story of Christ, it captures you and it moves you and it compels you in such a way that you can do nothing else. But to tell other people about this Messiah, how could you do anything different? You must, you must go forth. And this humble love that has come down, and as Christ has come, so too must we go and display this humble love And walk on the path that God would have for us. Let us pray. Oh gracious Father, I pray that we would never seek lives of comfort that were, that are an abomination to the way that you came. God, I pray that you would stir us and stir our affections as a church to come and behold your face. Behold your glory as we come as we gather together to worship God. Behold your glory as we gather in community groups, but then to also go, to go throughout this city and tell everyone about what we have heard and about your glory that has driven us. And God, I pray that you would give us hearts and affections where there is nothing else that we can do but speak of you in your humble love. Amen. Amen.